so good to see everybody. And uh, wow, I want you to get ready for a new series that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. It's called Crosswords. I'm going to deal with the words Jesus took and said while he was on the cross. As we lead up to the resurrection of the King of Kings and the Lord Jesus Christ who diminished and destroyed and obliterated Satan's power and authority over us. Amen. I want you to go to the first crossword. We're going to examine his words over the next four weeks, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. And as we even talk about this, this, these scriptures come more alive to us, especially since we got back from Israel and our whole, all of our crew is back. It was a great, great, great experience. Oh my word. I was not fully expecting to receive what Brynn and I and the whole group of us received. Uh, we're going to do another one sometime, and I hope that everybody wants to go on it because it was powerful. I, I, I tell you, I was not prepared for uh, four and a half to five miles of walking a day up and down hills. Uh, you know, I, I was going, I just want to walk where Jesus walked. I had no clue how much he walked. I'm thinking, uh, come on, isn't there a donkey in here somewhere? We could take a hitch a ride here a little bit. I'm telling you, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, and uh, I tell Brenda, I was just so surprised at Brenda. I mean, I thought, oh, man, I don't know if she's going to make this one. There's a lot of walking. We're going high down. We're everywhere. I, I tell, by the end of it, I said, you're just a little billy goat. You're just a little billy goat. You're going up and down. And, uh, but we're all back, and it was just an amazing, amazing, uh, amazing trip for me. And it just makes everything we say come alive in the Word of God. And I want to take you to the place where Jesus Christ was crucified. And uh, maybe as we get through this series, I'll drop some pictures in the places we were. But I want to get through this word right away today. Because I want to take you to when he was on the cross in Luke 23 and verse 33. And I want you to look at his first crosswords. When they came to the place called the skull, and we were there, we were at the very place, they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, you ready for these crosswords? And Jesus said, can you say those words with me? And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. And I discovered when someone's dying, their words are what you want to listen to. Because it's in that moment of death that you find out what their values are. You discover the pain they're going through, the agony. And you find out the innermost thoughts. They're not dealing with trivial things that consume a lot of people's times. Words are important. Amen, everybody? Words are important. How many have ever said some dumb words? How many have ever heard something come out of someone's mouth and go, that is not, like, like when someone says to you, I'm really not an electrician, but I watched a YouTube video last night, and then you hear, bzzz. how many of you know those, those, just steer clear of those words? Or whenever you have a friend, young people listen to me, 
And every you hear this come out of anybody's mouth, run. If you hear, hey, 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 watch this. <laughs> run. But you do not want to run from these words. Because in his last moments of pain, agony, and there are individuals under the sound of my voice where at some level you are experiences. Pain, agony, and may even cross words have been spoken to you by the very person you're married to. Maybe there's someone that afflicted you and abused you. I will tell you this, his cross words will set you free if you'll hear what he has to say. And let me tell you, how many know he has every right to say these things? First of all, how many thank God he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities? How many know he's touched by anything you're going through? So that means huh? he is the perfect one. He's the most compassionate one. And think about it. Jesus Christ lived this absolutely sinless life to completely fulfill the will of God, to die on the cross for one reason, that you and I could have eternal life with him. Think about how he operated. This guy loved unconditionally. The people that he should have been angry at, the people that he should have, the people that he should have brought judgment on, the Bible shows he loved. He even loved societies rejected. The ones other people wouldn't have anything to do. Nothing. He wasn't afraid to touch anything that was bad. He ministered and healed the sick spiritually. He ministered and healed the sick physically. I mean, he listened to the cry of people all the time. Come on, the demoniac of Gadara, here he is full of demon spirits. Many were in him, legion he was called. And Jesus listens to that cry and sets the guy free. After running in tombs and cutting himself, Jesus is never afraid of how complicated your issue is. Never. Never ever. When people said it's irreversible, he's not afraid to address that. That's why blind men will cry out to him and said, Son of David, have mercy, have mercy. He listens to the cry. He has the right. We, we must listen to his words on the cross to forgive them. They don't know what they do. We have to listen to it. He's earned it. He's earned it. A lot of people saw him as a revolutionary, but they never saw him as the redeemer that could save mankind. You look at Jesus, and boy, this when we walked through Israel and we, we found out there was that sect, that religious sect of Jews. You know, let me tell you, a lot of Jewish people absolutely loved and adored Jesus Christ when he walked the planet Earth. Don't you forget that. It was that small religious sect that wanted control and power that rejected him. That's the reason why you got to be careful when you say the Jews killed him, because I'm going to tell you, Many of the Jewish people loved Jesus. They did. Because in that is where anti-Semitism can even come into even the Christian community. So be careful of that. But he loved them. He would confront the religious leaders, that elite that hated him, because he says, you have religion, but you don't know a thing about God, my father. You are so disconnected, but you got all the rules down and everybody has this perception of you, but you're so disconnected. They hated him. They hated him for that. And then all of a sudden, look how they crucified him. They wanted to humiliate Jesus Christ. I mean, when we started seeing the things, even at King David's, at King David's Museum, of how they exited executions, how they would drive nails through the feet or through the ankles, that's what they did to your Savior, Jesus Christ. He was sinless, folks, and they accused him in a kangaroo court, a setup. They did it and crucified him. Just think about that. Even Pilate, I'm going to call him Pilate, Pilate, 
the Roman government, even Pilate says, I find no fault in Jesus Christ. He said it. He said it. And then what do they do with your Jesus? He has the right for you to listen to Father forgive them when you are in pain and agony over something right now. You must listen to him because look how they crucified him. They mocked him, everybody. They crucified him. They took his flesh and they ripped it and tore, tore it. They tortured his body. They took that whip. The whip consisted of steel metal balls to make sure that it would wrap around the flesh and hook. And then all of a sudden there would be pieces, shards of metal and bone and stone. And then they would flip it with their wrists to maximize the torture to rip as much flesh as possible. And then after they did that, they ripped it. He bled. Think about what he did. You have the right. You must listen to what he says. You cannot ignore this. They blindfolded him, and then the soldiers would hit him. Now, the soldiers wore rings, but it wasn't for beauty. Yes, it was a sign of stature, but they wore huge rings because it was also a weapon, not just something that symbolized stature and position. And they used it as a weapon, and they hit Jesus in the face until his eyes swelled up that he couldn't see anybody. That's why they began to mock him and say, come on, prophesy. Tell us who hit you. Tell us who hit you. You, you must listen to Father forgive them. They don't know what they do. Then they stripped him naked in front of the people he died for. And then they whipped him. And then they took the crown of thorns. We saw the trees that they made the crown of thorns from. And then they took it and just didn't place it on it. They turned it and twisted to shove it, to maximize pain. Then they throw a robe around him and then they mock him. And they'd say, hail, king of the Jews. And then to top it off, they would spit. They'd clear their sinuses and then begin to spit in his face. I just want you to understand, before you push away, Father, forgive them. You better know that he has every right to tell you Forgive them. How many thank God he paid the price for our freedom? He paid it. Now, I want you to frame all that. And they spit at him. And now he's, he's exhausted. He has no physical strength left. And on the cross, his lips start to move. And everybody wants to hear what he has to say. And I would be thinking he'd say, kill him. Angels, come now. But when his lips tremble, everybody is waiting with bated breath. And what are his first cross words? Father, forgive them. I think I better listen. How about you? I don't know what pain or what you're going through, but I want you to hear very closely today that the cry of the Savior has always been that. That's the cry of the Savior. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. I want you to see this. What is the passion of this cry? I love this word forgive. Can you just say the word forgive with me? Forgive. Boy, don't you love hearing that when you have a huge bill or you have a college loan and, or you have a medical debt and you call and someone says your loan has been forgiven. How many have ever heard that before? We, you had a debt and it was just forgiven, wiped out. How many have ever had that? Hold, hold it up real high. Hold it up real high. Oh, man, that's a testimony. Hold it. I want that. I want your testimony. I want your testimony for my mortgage payment. I want your testimony for my, I'm telling you, there's, and there's nothing more powerful because you understand that in the word forgive, there has to be a word. It's called give. Do you get it? Somebody had to pay it. 
Somebody had to administer it. And you're going, wait a minute, I, 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 I didn't deserve this. I, I'm shocked, I'm blown away by this. I can't believe my relative or somebody I didn't know is anonymous took care of this. I can't, I can't believe that somebody had to give because in the word forgive, someone must give something when others do not deserve what they are receiving. Because you can't disconnect it. And in banking terms, how many know it means my debt is canceled? How many of you are so thankful that he said, forgive Sam Reifkogel because the guy is absolutely clueless? How many thank God he said it for me and he said it for you because he gave something that we might be released? Can you thank him for that this morning? Just thank him for it. Thank him for it. Because the reason he had to say it, there's a purpose behind his cry. And the purpose of that cry, friends, was simply is they don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you, you didn't know what you're doing and I didn't know what I'm doing. He appealed on behalf of you and Pastor Sam and the entire universe. He appealed for us because he knew that you and I were absolutely clueless and ignorant to his judgment and his mercy. Do you know why a lot of people just keep on sinning? Because they're clueless about the judgment of God. That's why they do it. Face it, the spirit of stupid has hit all of us. Because when people keep on sinning and they keep going and they know they shouldn't, it's because they do not know what judgment is like. And the reason they don't return to God is because they don't know what his mercy is like. And that's the reason why he has to say that. But how many of you know, even when we're ignorant, how many of you know that ignorance does not equal innocence just because you don't know? I want you to look at Romans chapter 10, verse 3 says, I'm going to read from the Living Bible. It's a, it's, a paraphrased, it's a paraphrased edition here, so it's not a translation, but a paraphrase, but it does sum it up perfectly, what the scripture says. For they, did, they don't understand that Christ has died to make them right with God. Instead, they're trying to make themselves good enough to gain God's favor by keeping the Jewish laws and customs. But that is not God's way of salvation. It's simply this. If he's giving something, you have to receive it by faith and say, I take it, Jesus, and I don't deserve it. Problem is, is we live in ignorance. We don't know our own condition. Have you ever had something in your life where you didn't identify and know your own condition? Let, let, let me tell you, I discovered something and I didn't know I had a certain condition. It was around the time I was going from sixth grade to eighth grade. And let me tell you what my condition was. Body odor. How many of you have ever smelled a seventh grade boy that doesn't know he smells? How many of you were the seventh grade boy that didn't know he stunk? You were oblivious to the condition. Do you know when I finally recognized, hey, I have a problem here? You know when I discovered it? I discovered it, friends, when all of a sudden I noticed girls smell pretty. And I thought, you know what? There's no need to take a shower after gym. I'm feeling great. Until I got around girls, it started to smell pretty. And then I noticed that they could not take my condition and would start moving away. But it was only after their presence and their fragrance left me that mine begin to surface that I never identified. 
Now I say that in humor. But Jesus was the sweet aroma that entered into Sam Rifkogel and your sinful life because you were ignorant and I was ignorant and we did not know that judgment was coming. But once we smelled his fragrance and he moved away and we begin to look at ourselves in light of that fragrance, we begin to know there is a condition here and it can be changed. And he said, let me tell you, Sam, the stink never stops me. He didn't leave me like the little seventh grade girls and run because that guy is flat rank. He stayed with me in the middle of my stink and said, Sam, it can change, but you can't change yourself. Only I can give you a shower in the precious blood I shed from the cross of Calvary that will redeem you, put you in relationship with me, and cleanse you from every manner of sin. That's why Jesus answered the cry. The cry of the Savior is the answer to your condition, no matter who you are here today. That's, that's the reason why that First John chapter 2 just says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of all the world. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I have paid the price. Would you please receive what is given in forgiveness? And Jesus is not up there. He is the attorney. He is not up there saying, before God. See, we think that he's begging for mercy for us, going, hey, give Sam a break. You know, he doesn't know he stinks. He recognizes his stink now. He's really trying to clean up his act. You know, he started giving money to the church. Do you know he went to church once a month? I think he's doing pretty good. Give the guy a break. That's not what Jesus is up there. He is not asking for God to give me mercy. Jesus goes as the attorney for Sam Reifkogel and says, I must have justice because I paid the price for him to get clean. He cannot do it in his own power. He cannot do it in his own strength. And justice must be done, Father, because I fulfilled the demand and the demand was me and my blood totally liberates him. So he, I'm not asking you to cut him a break. I'm telling you, you have to free because he has asked for the power of my blood that liberates him and I am his attorney to plead his case. Do you get that? Come on, church. Do you get that? He has totally liberated you. He's not asking God to give you a break. He's saying, God, justice must be done, and I'm it. That'd make a Southern Baptist get happy. Come on, church. How many believe it's time that the body Christ thank him for the power of his gift that he forgave? Now I'm going to bring it in. I'm going to bring this in. You've got to listen and listen in a hurry. Here we go. We have been forgiven much, therefore, let me just put it we, let me put it you, you must forgive much. And this is where Satan's trap is for a lot of you today, for Sam Rifgold and you and me. The trap is this, you have been forgiven much, but Satan has trapped so many of you in unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. It is the conspiracy of Satan against many people who claim Jesus Christ as Lord. Yeah, but pastor, no, it is literally a trap that he has set for you and your pastor. A trap. It is his conspiracy. 
And some of you wonder, why? where are the blessings? Where, 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 where are some of these? I'm not saying this is all inclusive, but I'm telling you, he's trapped some of us. You say, yeah, but that shouldn't have happened to me. I get it. But let me give you a word. You will be offended. Exclamation point. I mean, okay, let me put it another way. Some of you just don't buy. How many of you believe the promises of Jesus Christ? Y'all believe them? How many of you want the promises of Jesus Christ? Okay, let me give you a promise right out of the words of Jesus, right out of Jesus' mouth. Luke 17. Then he said to his disciples, that'd be you and me, it is impossible that offenses will come. How many of you have had that promise fulfilled many times over? He's promising you that offenses will come. But let me give you that word in the Greek. The word in the Greek there literally, is, it's the word scandalon. And it originally referred to, get ready to this, the part of a trap to which the bait is attached. I want you, some of you, to read this book. It really is a good read by John Bevere called The Bait of Satan. This, if you haven't read it, read it as a Jesus follower. The Bait of Satan, because that's what he's talking about. The scandal on, it's a part. Some, now, how many know that when you're trapping, some traps are hidden? They're hidden. You don't know they're there. Animals stumble into it. But there are baited traps to lure you into the deadly jaws. And here's what Satan has done. Offenses have come. You have been forgiven because he gave, but now you have problems releasing people. They may have done you wrong. It may have been unjustified. It may be real or it may be a perceived offense. But Satan uses us to hold marriages, businesses, churches in the trap of offense and they can't move out of that. In fact, it hinders the flow of God's blessings, even though they've given their life to Christ. They are not being empowered by the very words of Jesus in his cross words. You must forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And can I also tell you this? Many of us don't know what it's doing to us when we don't forgive. I want to read from you a passage of scripture that just, just got me one time. I mean, it really, really got me. Proverbs 18, 19, again from the Living Bible, paraphrase, a paraphrase, but it really speaks to the truth of that scripture. Look what it says. It's harder to win back the friendship of an offended brother than to capture a fortified city. We saw some major fortified cities built by King Herod. Un. Believable, And when, Jesus, when, when the word says this, you've got to think of those kind of big fortresses. He says, it's harder to win back the friendship of an offended brother than it is to capture a fortified city. Now watch this. His or by inference, hers as well. His or her anger shuts you out like iron bars. And the purpose of that fortification is because when I'm hurt or offended and I don't give grace, even when I didn't deserve the grace from God, and I don't give it, it actually puts a person in a spiritual prison, if you will. And how many know that when someone is incarcerated in prison, the blessings from the free world can't get into them, nor can they experience or release things from where they are to the free world. They can't receive things from people who are free, and they can't release things to people who are free. And he says when offense comes to people, they can actually put themselves in a place whereby the blessings of God are not getting to you because you are never resolving the bitterness, the hurt, and the pain. 
and it's affecting every other area of your walk with Jesus Christ. And there's two categories of offended people. Those who have been treated unjustly. And it doesn't mean you don't address it, but they've been treated unjustly. And then those who believe they have been treated unjustly. People in the second category believe in all their, with all their heart they have been wronged. I like something John Bevere says in his book. This is really good. He says, often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information or their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted. Either way, they hurt and their, un and their understanding is darkened. They judge by assumption, appearance, and hearsay. Believers, you and I have to be so careful and if it's real, it needs to be dealt with. If it's perceived, it still needs to be dealt with. It needs to be talked. I get it. But I'm telling you, the enemy knows. For some of us, you will never snort a line of cocaine. You will never watch pornography. He knows that some of you would never even put a cigarette to your lip or any alcohol to your mouth. But he has you bound and incarcerated by a spiritual prison of hurt and offense that affects every other area of your life. And it can start when you're 12 and 13 years old, and it can trail you until you're 60 and 70. How many believe when Jesus Christ set us free, he sets us free in every area of release? Every area he gives us release. The way you forgive is the way you will be forgiven. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive inexcusably because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. There is a cure, though, friends. How many thank God Jesus showed us a cure? He showed us a cure. I like something that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. <laughs> I love what he said because it really is the reflection of the Word of God. He says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Can somebody say amen to that? So pastor, what do I do? What do I do? And it's not just you do this once and you're done. You may have to continue to walk through this journey. But let me show you the permanent attitude of Jesus that needs to be the permanent attitude of you and Pastor Sam. You ready for this? Here it is. I'm going to close with this. Number one, I want you to start praying for your enemies, the people that hurt you. I want you to start praying for them. Who has the right to say this? The guy who said it himself and then had to live by it. His name is Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If they did that to Sam Reifkogel, I hope God gives me the power to face that like he faced it. Because I'm going to tell you, if they'd have done that to me and those rose soldiers did to me what they did to Jesus Christ, I don't know if my first words or my trembling lips or my last breath would be, Father, forgive them. I'm afraid I would say, sick them. God, go after them. Mess their lives up. Make them miserable. Give them hemorrhoids in their ears. Do something, God. But you and I, all of us have been in this place, and I'm telling you, I see more Christians tripped up by this. We talk about how righteous and holy, but he grabs us on this one thing from something that has occurred in our past or in our present. 
and it's like iron bars, and it may be the answer to some of the lacks of freedoms that may be coming into your life that you truly desire. But Jesus knew this, that when we begin to pray for our enemies and say, God, do a work within them, because you can't do it. Can I tell you what happened? God starts working in your heart when you start blessing your enemies. I'll never forget one time I was preaching in church in Texas. I'll never forget this. This is before I was married. And I preached in this church, and I noticed this one gentleman, and there was like three banks of pews. It was a fairly, not, it was a very small church, but he sat on this side, and if you look at that wall over there, the whole time I preached, he turned like this when it was time for me to preach and just stared at that wall. Stared. From Sunday morning till when I concluded on Wednesday evening. Stared at the wall. I thought, what have I done? What did I say? He would be attending, but he would turn and just face that wall the whole time. Whole time. I couldn't figure it out. I was going back to that thing that happened in seventh grade when girls would walk away from me. I think that must have been it. But I knew something was up. And the reason he couldn't look at me, he was a Vietnam vet. And he could not stand the people of Asian descent. Because he went through all the pain and the horror as a soldier that he saw in Vietnam and the things that happened to his friends that died brutally. And he could not look at an Asian. And he turned and faced that wall the whole time. But you know what I was thankful for? He was there. He was there. He didn't run because he felt the Spirit of God doing something in him. And it just so happened that when at that time I was helping them reopen an orphanage in Vietnam and I was raising money as a single young man to reopen and help orphans in Vietnam that were being abandoned. And I shared that on a Sunday night. And the pastor knew what the man was going through, but I never reacted to it. And he came to me at the end of the, at the, end of the week and he gave me this huge check that paid for the whole thing that needed to be done. And he said, Sam, this came from the man that hasn't been able to look at you because God has spoken to him that if he wants to be free, he needs to bless the very people that he blames. And I called that pastor. He said, Sam, I mean weeks after, weeks, weeks after. He said, Sam, you cannot believe the turnaround in this man's life. You cannot believe the joy. You can't, he said, I'm just watching his marriage, his family, little by little freedom. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. His anger shut people out like iron bars. He was born again, but yet the favor and the joy and even the ability to receive other people and minister to broken, hurting kids that did not have, were not the ones who inflicted that pain on him. But now when he did that, folks, something opened for him. He said, Sam, I watched his marriage start to flourish. I watched him, Sam. I mean, I called for a long time. How's he doing? He said, Sam, I cannot believe he's becoming, God is doing something in his life. I'm going to tell you what's happening. The word of God is working. Jesus' blood was not just shed to keep you out of hell. Jesus' blood was shed that you can break off the chains of hurt, break off the chains of offense, open that prison door 
and start stepping out where free people discover the presence and the blessing of God. I don't know about you, but I think we ought to start praising God that freedom will happen for people right now in this room today that something will begin to open up. Something will begin to liberate in their soul. Something will begin to happen that no man could ever do. Would you stand with me? I feel the Holy Spirit here so strong right now. I want, I, uh, please, if you're new here, please do not be offended by what I'm getting ready to do. This is scriptural. I don't need it to be out loud. But I need those of you that have prayed in the Holy Spirit and know how to intercede in the Holy Spirit, I want you to go around your English and just begin to pray in the Holy Spirit at this moment right now. Now you can hear them maybe muttering beside you. Don't pay any attention to them because this work cannot be done on your own. He said, notice he said, Father, forgive them. And some of you say, yeah, but, but, but pastor, but pastor, you don't, you don't get it. That you don't know what my abusive husband did to me. I am so sorry because I could not imagine the pain you are feeling and have lived with for years. Pastor, they molested me and no one should get away with that. You're right, nobody should and no one will. But they still have an influence over you because of this. <laughs> yeah, but he was the pastor. He was the pastor. I hear a lot of people talk about church hurt. And it's real. But you rarely hear them talk about college hurt. Or work hurt. But the enemy always wants to really make it about the church hurt. Don't just make it about church hurt. Make it about any area hurt that you feel. Whether that person intentionally did it or it's perceived, it's real, and you've got to face it. Yeah, but pastor, I'm so tired of people. No, no, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't have conversations, honest conversations with people. Oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. There needs to be some. It probably would really help. I'm not even saying that you shouldn't put boundaries because there's some folks, they've got themselves in a prison that inflicted you and their hurt probably, they're hurting you probably came out of the hurt that came to them. So you do have to put boundaries. And there may have to be some. That's one to navigate with good godly people and the Holy Spirit. Seriously. Not just people that like to nod and say, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, but really never talk about the real scriptural things that need to be done. I'm not saying not do that. But I will tell you that his word is not a lie. And I want you to hear these words. This is why Jesus says, release them. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 from the Apostle Paul. He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Never take revenge. Leave that to who? The righteous, that means a right way that it's gonna be measured and judged. The, leave it to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, how many know his promises are true? And here's what he says. I will, 
not you, not someone you pass the offense onto so they can do your dirty work for you, not giving it to one of your kids so they can take it out on the other parent. He says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Now I want you to hear this real good just for a moment. He is saying, I'm the judge of the world, the righteous judge that truly know what is the right way to respond. I'm going to help you walk this path. You may have to have conversations. You may have to set boundaries. But he says, at some point, you've got to release to the Father because it really wasn't against you. It was against the Father. Touch my kid and what happens? <laughs> what happens, everybody? Touch your kid. Jesus even knew, Father, forgive them. When you afflict someone else, you're really coming after the Father when you do it with evil and harmful intent. You better, we gotta all be careful. Now listen closely. But when you hold them anger and you hold resentment and bitterness, when you hold them, what you have done is you have sentenced them to your anger, your judgment, and your bitterness. Listen closely, church members, spirit-filled, tongue-talking people who've been talking in tongues for 67 years, listen closely to me. When you impose that anger and your judgment, then you have already done what the judge was supposed to do. And you have already pronounced the judgment, therefore the judge, who is the righteous judge, cannot do anything because you have already given it. And if you've already sentenced him, God cannot judge them because you and I already did it. But only when we release it to Father, good Father who knows me and knows them better than I know them and knows me better than I know me. I will follow your word. Give me the power to forgive. Give me the power to walk through the pain and the hurt and the tears. Help me, Holy Spirit, because I can't do this on my own, but I give it to you and I continually give them to you. And I pray, bless them so that you can give them what they truly need because maybe they're not identifying what's wrong because your judgment is already in place and he cannot repay the way he needs to to help them. Maybe an abusive husband of the past, a church member, a Christian that got you into a sure business deal that emptied out your savings account in your retirement. An abusive church leader, a father, a mother, a stepmother, the former church you attended or the former churches you attended. God says, I want to free you. I want to free you from that prison and open up the gates. I want to free you from the, the pride. I want to free you from their hurt. I want to free you from their influence. I want to free you from their racism. I want to free you from their anger. I want to free, free you from their immoral decisions. I want to free you from that so you can walk out and then let me start applying what really needs to be applied and you leave it to me and say, Father, forgive them because I step into the forgiveness and the grace that you gave to me. I give this to people who don't deserve it as well. And that's why he says in Colossians 3.13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone. Everybody say anyone. Anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others.
Do you know why his prayer was, Father, forgive them? You know why it was his prayer? Because it was your greatest need and my greatest need. We didn't even see it. We didn't even know it. And I'm going to tell you, for those individuals, I'm not justifying or said they did what was right, but I'm going to tell you something. They need you to speak the same power that Jesus spoke on that cross, that you can walk free like you've never been free before.